time to make the crunch time plays. Now your host, Bennett Ganey. Crunch, crunch, crunch time plays. This is Pat Smith from Three Man Front, and you're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin with Sports Illustrated's Dogs Daily. You're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Tara Talmadge with the Pig Trail Nation, and you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, it's Jim Dunaway from the next round, and when it comes down to the final ticks on the clock, always look for Crunch Time Plays. What's up, everybody? Thanks for hopping back into Crunch Time Plays today. We're watching this on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks so much. Make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're watching or listening. However you're watching or listening, thanks for joining again and again. And got another preview for you this week, Florida, Georgia. This week, kicking off week nine of the college football season with our previews this week. And we got Cassidy Hill on to, to give us a preview of, of Florida. And, and we're lucky we got her, too, because, you know, this is her last week. Uh, covering the Gators is so certainly excited to to get her on here and Cassidy hope you're doing well and thanks so much for taking the time of course thanks for having me glad we could make it happen and no bigger week to do it if you're you're a Florida football fan <laughs> there's no doubt about that so I know we were talking just to, just to go ahead and uh just go ahead and, and put it out there I know we were talking about the quarterback situation right. for really both teams on on Saturday I know Florida fans are certainly interested uh, and what is going to happen at the quarterback position with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. So I did want to start there on the Florida side before we kind of move over to Georgia and their their quarterback situation that's been ongoing for quite some time. But the Florida one also has as well. And I know there's a lot of fans out there that, that would love to see Anthony Richardson start this game. But it's like we were kind of talking about earlier, it really doesn't matter who starts the game because we expect both quarterbacks to play. It's really just a matter of, of who gets the most meaningful snaps in the game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dan's never been huge on who's starting, um, who starts a game, who who gets the credit for that start, so to speak. It's been more about how he words it is who finishes, who's 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 closing out the game. Um, and I think that, that he has a point. You know, it's because of how he plays these guys, especially on offense, and he, he rotates them in because we see we see rotations on defense a good bit, but to see as much rotation as we do on offense that the Gators do under Mullen, it is a little bit rare. And he does it all the way up to the quarterback position. He's always played two quarterbacks. Um, it's just his style. It's how he likes to keep defenses sort of back and forth, and it's uh, it keeps guys ready. It, you know they're not going in cold, and we've seen that so far work out in his favor um it worked out with Kyle Trask it worked out during the Auburn game a couple of years when Kyle Trask got hurt and Emory Jones had to go in um it's worked decently so far with Anthony Richardson and so I think what makes this situation interesting is that you have two quarterbacks that are so similar and so it's it's like what are you really offering the defense that's different with this quarterback versus the other um especially when it seems like their their floor is the same, but Richardson's ceiling is higher. And so if you're getting the same, if you're not doing anything different to cause the defense havoc, then, then what's the point of putting a quarterback out there that might not do as much for you versus the other? 
That being said, I, I do think there's something into what he was saying that it's not about who starts the game. It's about who finishes because he's never been big on who starts. You know, the first 15 plays are always scripted. Sometimes it, it's purely dependent on what play you have scripted first as to who goes out there and starts. Um, you know, back when Dan was the OC here in 06 and 08, there was a streak that I, I believe, I want to say Chris Rainey, but I, I could be pulling that name out of my butt. Um, that I, but I think it was Chris Rainey had a streak going of consecutive starts and he needed like one more start to break the record. Like he had tied it and he needed to break it. So they were playing like Vanderbilt or somebody. And, uh, the play that Mullen called his OC didn't call for Chris Rainey to be on the field or whoever it was, but I'm pretty sure it was Rainey didn't call for him to be on the field. So he didn't get that start. And they realized it after the game and the player was just like so upset and he, he got over it. But still to this day, he teases Mullen about it, according to Dan. Um, like, you took that record from me, coach. He's like, I'm sorry, I called a run play. I didn't need you out there or whatever it was, something like that. And so I don't think it really matters who starts because he rotates guys in so much. It's who's getting those meaningful snaps. You know, to this point, we've known – it's going to be two drives for Emory, then a drive for Anthony. Two drives for Emory, Emory, drive for Anthony. So on and so forth. It really didn't change until that LSU game when Emory gave Dan no choice but to pull him and put Anthony in for pretty much the entirety of the second half. And he kept them in that game. They shouldn't have been behind in it to start with, but he kept them in it. And he gave them a decent chance to win if the defense had made one stop against an abysmal offense part of was that game and so it's it wasn't even really on Richardson for losing it he took the blame for it because of the late turnover but it really wasn't even on him for losing it he was the only reason they had a chance to win it and so knowing that now do you give him more meaningful snaps and that's what I want to see that's what's going to be the most important thing as far as the quarterback situation in this game on Saturday. It's what I asked Dan today, like based on where you are with your record, you're four and three, let's face it. You're about to be four and four. You're, you're four and three. You're four and four. You're, you're searching for bowl eligibility at this point, three straight years of, of New Year's six bowls. And right now you're searching for the dollar general cheese it bowl. Like with this, I didn't say all that, but in, with this record, where with where you're at, with knowing what you know, especially knowing what you know from the LSU game and trying to set yourself up for moving forward, what all goes into evaluating who's going to play the most snaps on Saturday? Um, he said he'll continue, continue to train and practice them the same way. I, I will say how they practice quarterbacks is pretty unique. It may happen at other schools. I've never seen it happen in another school like this. They give uh, whoever the top two guys are, get the equal number of snaps with the first team and um, and equal number with the second team so as well. <coughs> and it's just because they rotate them in so much. Um, so all of that to say, I'm not looking at who's starting on Saturday. I'm looking at who's playing the most snaps, who's playing that fourth drive, <coughs> so to speak, or for that matter, the fifth drive, which may be the last drive of the first half or the first drive of the second half. Um, that's who's taking the reins for the rest of the game. On the Georgia side, you know, they don't know who their quarterback is either. I'm going to take a sip of water. 
And uh, Dan joked about that today. He was like, they're the number one team in the country. I would I would think it's a bigger problem for them to not know who their quarterback is versus us. And uh, it's a little bit of a different situation because Kirby doesn't treat his quarterbacks that way. He doesn't rotate them in like that. Um, it's, it's almost trying to figure out the nicest way to say this. Let me back up. Um, as we were talking about before we started, you know, how George is playing football right now is exactly how they want to play. It's exactly how Kirby wants to play. He doesn't need a JT Daniels. He doesn't want a game changer. He wants a game manager. <coughs> That's how he's always played. That's how they played at Alabama when he was the D.C. And it's it's very hard to do that in today's college football. How Georgia has this team set up, you know, I said this to you earlier, how Georgia has this team set up on paper should not work in today's college football world. It just doesn't. And, and they have found a way to make it work because – they put the time in and set the foundation and done the development to get these guys to this point to where they're so strong, they're so deep, they're so smothering that it's it's impossible to beat them. I don't know if that's sustainable. I don't know if you can do that year after year because offenses adapt easier than defenses do. What happens when you lose this crop? of guys that you've spent the past four years training. I think it takes three to four years to get a team to this point, which is why I'm saying, I don't know if it's sustainable in the sense of like Alabama of where year after year you're in the playoff and in the hunt. It may, after this year, Georgia may not have another shot for another three or four years. I still, most schools would take that average every three to four years to be in the hunt for a championship. Most schools would take that. But right now for this year, they're so strong. They're so deep that you're not going to find a team that can really go toe-to-toe with them. And it's because of their defense. And when you have a defense like that, you don't need a game changer. You just need a, somebody who's not going to mess up, who's not going to turn the ball over, who's just going to dink and dunk your guys downfield. You know, as I mentioned, take drives that are five to six minutes, give your defense a rest. You don't want to hold the ball for too long. You're not wanting to hold it for seven, eight minutes. That gives you a better chance of turning it over. You don't want to fly down the field as a la 2019 LSU and score in 45 seconds either. You need to give your defense a break because they're who is going to win you the game. Um, And so that being said, it doesn't necessarily matter for Kirby as much as to who his quarterback is on Saturday. Um, Other than he's at risk, in my opinion, of losing JT Daniels. Um, how Kirby handles quarterbacks has become a little infamous and he can get away with it because he handles every other position on the field flawlessly, but he has trouble handling quarterbacks because like I said, he's wanting to play quarterbacks the way you could seven or eight years ago versus the way you can now or the way you do now. Um, And I've yet to fully understand why JT Daniels, isn't playing it's waiver it's injury it's this or that it's well we liked what Stetson was doing I I, I guess I'm just saying I I don't feel like it's been an understandable reason yet it's just been one thing after another so all of that to say when Stetson Bennett trots out there on Saturday you know I'm looking forward to see 
seeing what the reason is this week that JT Daniels isn't playing. But again, right now, they're playing exactly how Kirby wants them to. They don't need JT Daniels in there. No, they they definitely don't. And it'll you know, be interesting to see whenever uh, Georgia does get into a situation, especially on down the line and, and probably the SEC championship game against Alabama or even in the playoff mm-hmm. where they absolutely have to have uh, some some game changing plays because you're especially with their you know their secondary they really hadn't been tested yet Tennessee in a couple of weeks is probably uh, going to be the mm-hmm. the closest that that you see uh, Georgia's secondary be tested and so in the because playoff or against out Al- yeah and against you know against Alabama you're going to mm-hmm. see that uh, guys that are can stretch the field you know vertically you know Alabama Ohio mm-hmm. State can do it. Uh, there's a couple other teams that can do it so mm-hmm. until until he gets until Kirby gets into a situation where he has to play JT Daniels to make those uh, game changing plays. I think he's he's just happy with with getting by with with Stetson Bennett for now because he can get away with that again this Saturday. You know, Florida's strength supposedly until LSU stopped it. Florida's strength was their run game. Um, and that's that's Georgia's strength is their run defense. You know, I would say it's uh, the the classic tale of, you know, um, what is it? It's immovable force versus unstoppable object. But in this case, I think the immovable force, Georgia's defense, is going to be what wins out. Um, and so, if if you shut down Florida's run game, what do they have left? Yeah, they can technically stretch the field with Justin Shorter and Xavier Henderson, but they haven't done it enough to make me think that they can do it for a full game against the best defense in the country. Of course, last year, last year their strength was the passing game, and then they go out there and do nothing but throw to the running backs all all night, and they killed Georgia 44-28 to 28 or whatever it was. Um, and so I don't doubt that Dan Mullen will have a good game plan It'll just be a matter of do they have what they need in place to execute against an otherworldly defense. Um, I do think it was interesting, just to add a note, what you said about Tennessee, because Florida has played Tennessee already this year and uh, gave up two explosive plays, which scored their 14 points. But other than those two explosive plays, were able to shut them down um, for the most part. But that, that offense flies. They're, they're very up-tempo. They like to stretch the field. They like to go over the top. Um, that's a good point. That could that could end up being a sneaky good game between Georgia and Tennessee. Yeah, it really could because especially, you know, we hadn't – we were assuming that as great as Georgia's defense has been, especially their front seven, that the, the, the back end would hold up. We just hadn't seen it uh, be tested the way mm-hmm. uh, Tennessee is probably going to test it. And then, you know, Florida brought up some some great points about their quarterback situation. You know, you just hate it for they kind of kind of hate it for Emory Jones in a you sense do. because he yeah. he is what traditionally is so great about college football. He's a guy that's mm-hmm. come in and really waited his turn, and this was supposed to be uh, his year. But but it definitely wouldn't be surprised to to see Anthony Richardson play a lot more uh, in this game, especially since he is the guy that, that mm-hmm. is, has the higher ceiling, especially, you know, we're trying to build for the future and, and looking going forward. Mm-hmm. You really do hate it for Emory. And, and I, I really like Emory. I've, you know, I've been around him for four years now and he's such a good kid. He's, uh, 
he's really, really humble. And, and that's not just an act when he talks about being excited for Anthony and, and wanting to support him and, you know, being his cheerleader. That's just who Emery is. And it's because of that that it makes it even harder to see him have to go through this. Um, but, you know, it's, it's year four. I, I think he has a good grasp of the playbook. And I think that's why Dan has wanted to play him so much. Um, it's just a matter of, again, the execution of it. And I'm very, very rarely a fan of pulling the incumbent just to see what the young guy has. I think that I know fans love that. It, it works out one out of 10 times. Um, more than anything, you, you usually end up in a bad situation where you're playing a guy before he's ready because you've seen six or seven exciting plays and you think that's what he's going to do every time. It's not what he's going to do every time. It's impossible to do that every time. Uh, Dan Mullen knows that, which is why he's hesitant to play younger guys. That's why he was hesitant to play Dak Prescott over Tyler Russell. That's why he was hesitant to play Tim Tebow over Chris Lee. That's why he was hesitant to play Cam Newton over John Brantley. Like, it's just, it, it's how, it's why he was hesitant to play Emory Jones over Kyle Trask. It's, it's how he does, it's how he develops these guys. And for Florida, they've seen it go badly the other way when Jim McElwain threw Felipe Franks out there way, way too early, threw him out there against Michigan in his very first college game, ruined his confidence, almost ruined him. And, and it was really Dan Mullen and then later Sam Pittman who sort of brought him back, gave him a second chance, and now he's in the NFL, albeit as a quasi-tight end or whatever it is. But he's still there. He's getting a check. <laughs> um all of that to say, Florida fans have seen it go badly, but of course, you still want to, you still think, well, this time will be different. Um, and so, all of that to say, I'm not typically a fan of pulling the incumbent to put the young guy in. And I think we saw at times when it did become too much for Anthony Richardson until that second half versus LSU. LSU is not a good football team. But when a team gets confident and they get momentum behind them, it's hard to stop them. And even at 2.14 in the afternoon or whatever time it was by the second half, Death Valley is still a tough place to play. And so for Anthony Richardson to come in there and kind of get through that second half the way he did, that's the most encouraging thing I've seen from him. Even the interception that he threw at the very end, that's something a young guy's going to do. But there's nothing like live reps. There's nothing like live bullets to sort of work that out and figure out what you can get away with versus what you can't. And so all of that to say, at four and three, about to be four and four, looking for bowl eligibility, searching for just something and kind of knowing that this season's a wash, why not play Anthony Richardson more? Um, it's one of the few instances I think it would – it would be better because you're not going to have Emory next year. Emory, he's either going to get some team to take a chance on him, or he's like in the NFL, which I, I don't think happens, where he's going to transfer, or he willingly takes, he does something like maybe we saw Jalen Hurts do his last year at Alabama before he went to Oklahoma, where he knew Tua was going to be the starter, but he still stayed. And, and was willing to become a mentor and finish out his degree. Maybe we see him redo something like that. I could see him with his personality doing that. Um, but you know at this point that Anthony Richardson is your future. And if you, if you don't really have anything else to play for this year, 
why not let him go in there and go ahead and get those live reps and, and work out the kinks and figure out how tight is that window going to close or how quick is that window going to close? How quickly is that defensive end going to get to me when he can actually hit me? Cause he can in practice, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea to finish. You still play them both, but to finish out this season with AR getting the majority of the reps and snaps in the game. Yeah, that's definitely true. Definitely, definitely agree with all that. And, and the last, you know, the last couple things that I had for you was about, about the running game specifically. I know both, both offenses are going to want to run the football very well on Saturday, Florida, of course, number two in the SEC and rushing yards per game with number 254 and, Georgia of 193. So for Florida, you know, we all know what Georgia wants to do defensively. They're going to want to stop the run. But for Florida, offensively, the quarterback run game seems like something that could be utilized just to just to get a truly 11 on 11, not just not just 10 on 11. So with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson being able to run the football the way that they do, you have to. Seems like for Florida, you're going to have to find ways to to kind of allow them to to keep the football uh, some so it can really be a, a true 11 on 11 game especially against that Georgia front. Mhm. Yeah, it is. And it's it's going to be tough cuz like you said that's going to be what Georgia wants to stop and that's what they're good at. Um can you find space? You, you can't run up the middle against them. You can't run on the edges against them. Um you like you said you have to almost go over the top can you take six, seven yard little check downs, even if you're implementing your running backs, uh, almost kind of like the game plan they ran last year, but more across the middle, maybe. Um, it, I don't, I don't know if there's anything that will actually work against this defense, but it's definitely a possibility. Um, I think what's been frustrating for Florida fans is that is knowing that the running game is their strength and it being proven so far this year, and then the past couple of games having gone away from it so much. Um, and I think that that's something that, uh, understandably, they get upset with Dan about, is they feel like he sort of not necessarily plays to his competition, but he has certain games where he knows, this is going to take my everything. The Alabama game, the Georgia game, the bowl game. This is going to take my everything. This is going to take my best game plan. So in these other games where he feels like he's going to win it no matter what, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, LSU, he's willing to try stuff out. Well, being willing to try stuff out can get you in trouble when all of a sudden you're behind and then you've got to play catch up and you've got a defense that can't stop a running back who nobody knew his name before the day. And so it's a little iffy. It's a little risky. Um, all of that being said, that's definitely what I'm sure they'll come out trying against Georgia just to see what they can get away with. The thing that played, the only thing that plays in Florida's favor in this matchup, and again, I don't know if it's enough, is that they have such a deep running back unit. When you include the quarterbacks, when you include Emory, Emory and AR, you've essentially got seven guys that can be your leading rusher any given game. And, and that's incredible you've not only got seven guys that can be your leading rusher you've got two of them that could also probably be your leading receiver for a game in naquan Wright and and uh bowman and so not that we've really seen bowman do that but he's capable of it um 
So, you know, between Damian Pierce, Naquan Wright, Malik Davis, that's the other one. That's what I was thinking of. Wright and Davis could be your leading receivers. Malik Davis, Demarcus Bowman, Lorenzo Lingard, Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson, any single one of them could tote it. So if you've got seven of them that keeps them fresh, that keeps them going, you've got seven of them that you can keep rolling out there. That keeps you with fresh legs. You keep hitting that rock enough. Eventually, you're going to break through. That's really the, the one of the few things that plays in Florida's favor on Saturday between the offense, the Florida offense and the Georgia defense. Um, it's just a matter of if they stick with it. On the other side of it, the Georgia offense versus the Florida defense, there are more matchups that favor Florida. Um, it's just a, a matter of... I guess the scheme, you know, that was the knock they got after the LSU game. So much so that players themselves were saying, you know, we can only make the adjustments that we're allowed to make or told to make. Um, they they sort of felt handcuffed by the scheme that they were running against LSU. And, uh, but it's, it's a double-edged sword because if the scheme doesn't benefit them, then they're going to be in the wrong place. But at the same time, you don't want them getting out of place because then you have what you had last year, which is, as Dan Mullen described, is 11 independent contractors all doing different things. And that's why the defense was so scatterbrained. And so you, you, can't, you can't go that far either. Um, it's a matter of if, if Todd Grantham, knowing he's on borrowed time, says, forget it, I'm done, or if he says, let me put some game tape together for my next job and uh, and actually schemes up a, a decent game, which he did last year. I thought he had a really good scheme against Georgia last year. I thought he had a really good scheme against Alabama this year. He had a good scheme against Kentucky. Um, is it enough? I don't know. I, I think, like I said, the matchups favor Florida a little bit more on that side of the ball. Um but again, that's dependent on not turning the ball over on the other side, which this Georgia defense is going to force you into. Not making mistakes on special teams, which this Georgia team is going to force you into. Um, and, and holding on, you know, it almost you almost think that you want to keep Georgia's offense on the field because <laughs> then you're keeping the defense off. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not paid millions of dollars to to decide these things. There's, it, it, they can hurt you so many different ways that it's it's hard to decide which way to try to sneak your way in there and attack them because they'll account for that too. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And and kind of with Dan Mullen, I kind of thought that he, I kind of thought he outsmarted himself a little bit against LSU because he, I feel like he kind of saw what he what. Kentucky was able to do against LSU in the passing game. They were more traditionally a, a running team, of course, for Chris Rodriguez. It kind of feel like it kind of made Dan feel like that he could uh, that he could just kind of out outsmart him a little bit there, and it's ultimately paid the price for that. But a couple of things that he's been receiving a lot of skepticism about lately is, of course, you mentioned it, Ty Grantham, and then obviously the the high school recruiting kind of is uh, what it is uh, at this point. He's obviously Dan's never really been known as as an elite recruiter but with the defensive staff specifically I know the recruiting kind of is what it is but definitely not expecting Ty Grantham to be back next year uh, do you think if I was a betting woman I'd put my money on it him not being here next year I'd put my money on that today 
Yeah, I, w- I would too. And because, uh, you know, I just, you know, just kind of seen it the last uh, couple of years. Just, you know, obviously last year you, you, you get rid of two assistants and then you bring some more in and, and the defense is, has gotten better a little bit with the Yes, with the scheme, and I will but, say that the, the two assistants they brought in, I think, were the right move. They've, they've done – they have improved their units. Sorry, that's all I'll say. <laughs> Yeah, they they definitely have, and but you know now that the kind of you know, the, the get the quotes after the, far, the quotes after the LSU game from the players definitely got me. Like you like you mentioned, just listening to them saying, "Well, we we were just doing what we were just doing what we were told to do, and and it, uh, we didn't didn't want to deviate uh, from the scheme." So definitely uh, mm-hmm. definitely was a, a telltale sign that the uh, that the scheme wasn't what it was supposed to be against LSU on that Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mahmoud Diabate is who said that and he's he's an incredibly smart and cerebral guy. He knows that it was wrong. And and he knows <laughs> I thought he he was he gave a master class in saying everything that needed to be said without getting himself in trouble. Um and and knowing how to word it, I think one of the most telling things he said was one, we made the adjustments we were given to make and two uh i asked him is there something more that could have been done and he said that's not my decision to make i'm like a soldier when the general tells me to shoot i shoot uh and so if, if he's he's basically saying i'm handcuffed there's only so much i can do i thought that was telling because when you lose the locker room there's not much else you can do to come back from that yeah, that's that's definitely true. And and uh, the last thing I have for you, I know it's I know it's a little bit early in the week, but just kind of off the cuff, Georgia's fourteen point favorite on Saturday. So do the does does Florida cover the the plus fourteen, or, or does Georgia win by more than by more than fourteen? I don't know. Um, if this had been two weeks ago, I would have said Florida covers. But seeing how almost apathetic it was at times against LSU, I'll say this. I know how much emphasis Dan puts on games like this. Um, I think they do cover Florida, but I think it's courtesy of like a garbage time touchdown. Yeah, One that won't make that much of a difference. No, just kind of off the off the cuff, I definitely think that that Georgia covers the the minus fourteen, but not not by much though. You know, maybe 17, 21, mm-hmm. something like that. Not definitely think that Florida is certainly going to get up for this game. So definitely not going to be a, a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I can see it being like thirty five twenty one with like a touchdown from Florida to make it thirty five twenty one in like the last 90 seconds or something. That's, that's definitely, definitely could happen. So, and Cassidy, thanks so much for, for taking. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I, I think Georgia's defense definitely scores one of the touchdowns. Yeah, definitely wouldn't, definitely wouldn't surprise me. Cause uh, you know, at one point, uh, their, you know, the defense was, was scoring more than their opponents. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. Cassidy, thanks so much for for taking the time. I know you've you've been busy. Well, with your 
uh, getting prepared for for your new job. Can't can't obviously can't uh, disclose where that is just yet, but certainly looking forward to that. So tell everybody where they can find you uh, on social media and and where they can find uh, where you're going to be headed uh, next uh, <laughs> later on. So I know you're going to be announcing that. So definitely looking forward to to having you back on again soon. And and just thanks so much for for taking the time in your last week and and best of luck. Uh, to you with the move and, and everything like that. Thank Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we got to do this. It's a, it's going to be bittersweet leaving the sec, but I'm excited, but yeah, y'all can keep up with me at castledghill.com. And yeah, I would love to announce it. I just, I have to sign a contract before I can be allowed to. <laughs> and so <laughs> it'll be soon. I promise. But yeah. Well, that, it's, it's, well that that's why, that's why you announce it later. That way you can, that way you can gain some followers first and then you can, and exactly. then you can drop the news on them. Exactly. To be like, Oh, sorry. You may not care about this, but <laughs> anyways, thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And thanks so much to you for coming on today. And thank you everybody out there for watching and listening to crutch time plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of crutch time plays previewing Florida and Georgia. God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Crunch Time Plays with your host, Bennett Ganey. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow at Plays Crunch on Twitter and Instagram.